Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Schreckengast, uh, and I have the joy of opening God's Word with you this morning. And I want to start uh, with a couple of short stories uh, here before anything else. The first one goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a man named Adam, and he was dead. The end. Okay, <laughs> that is a very short story and not likely one that's going to win any Newbery Awards, I realize. Uh, but I want us to see that this story actually has a lot more in common with your story and with mine than we may realize. In fact, if our story collectively was about us, then that is exactly how our story would go. There was a man or a woman, and they were dead. The end. But friends, this morning, I have very, very good news for you. Our life stories are not first about us. They're about God. They're about His immeasurable power, His immeasurable grace, and His immeasurable love. This is a power so great and a grace so great and a love so great that he resurrected us from the dead so that we could be united with his son and with himself. So this morning's story goes more like this. Once before time, there was God, and he gave a dead man life. That God united the man with himself and showed himself to him and through him forever. And there was no end. That is the story that we are going to read this morning. We're going to read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2, which is on page 917 if you took one of the church Bibles. And in these verses, Paul is going to challenge his audience to recognize that their salvation story, and by extension, their entire life's story, is not primarily about them. But it's one of, of a God whose immeasurable power and grace resurrected them from the dead. We'll see this morning that we all were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus so that God's grace could be shown in his workmanship. That's our outline for this morning. So let's begin. Read with me Ephesians 2. Chapter 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. 
and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Friends, here we see the result of being in our sin. Death. Verse 2 makes it clear that this is death is not just applicable to each one of us individually, although it is certainly that. But it is also the natural course of the entire world. While we are in our sin, we are dead. Not we will die, we will be dead if we don't change. No, we are dead. And friends, this is a huge problem. This is a problem because if we are already dead, then that's the end. What can we do? The short answer is nothing. There is nothing that we can do. Our story would be at its end if we were not brought in to Christ. Friends, death is our only inheritance as the children of the kingdom of this earth. And so Paul gives us a clear view of what that death looks like. Verse 3 explains that our, quote, life is consumed by the passions of this world. The flesh, the desires of the body or the mind, it becomes all about us. And because we are dead, then our own desires and our own passions simply are expressions of that death. Whether that's physical or mental or even spiritual, when we pursue ourselves, we are following right in line with the course of this world. And that is death. For Paul's audience, this would have been especially challenging for the Jewish participants in the audience reading this letter. Because we are all, according to this passage, children of wrath. The Jew coming to Christ was no less once dead in their trespasses and sin than the non-Jew was. There was unity in the death of this world. But God, I love Jaden's shirt because it says, but God, that is not the unity that God had planned for us here this morning or for those who are reading this letter. But before we get there, we must understand the depths of our need to be not in this world but in Christ. That is how this passage begins to apply both to Paul's audience and to, our, to us this morning. Friends, without Christ, we are not pretty good people. Without Christ, we are not just living our life the best that we can. 
We are not simply the product of a flawed culture. We are not just giving it our best shot and hoping for the best. We were dead. And the dead, friends, cannot save themselves. Do you see how desperately we need Christ? How desperately we need to be in Him. Because everything exists in something. And if we are not in Christ, then we are in our sin. And so the course of this world, along with all of mankind, is simply death. So my first challenge for you this morning is to look at your life honestly and see what are the things that you are, quote, living for. Is the focus on yourself? On your fleshly passions? On the desires of your body? Or on the desires of your mind? Friends, if this is where you focus your life, then there may be more death in you than you realize. And this morning, I hope that we realize that there is no other hope for the dead than resurrection. If the common inheritance of all mankind is death, in which we are already living, then your only hope is resurrection. A resurrection that you cannot accomplish on your own. But God can. Let's read verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our passions and our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him. In the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Friends. God made us alive. Let me say it again. God made us alive. I couldn't do it. My work couldn't do it. My philosophy couldn't do it. My money certainly couldn't do it. My body nor my mind could do it. But God made me alive. Praise the Lord. That is resurrection. Why did he do this? Verse 4. 
because of his rich mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Friends, verse 5 makes it abundantly clear what we offered to God to be worthy of his love. We offered a corpse. But even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made us alive. And this is not a life simply again alive in ourselves, but alive in Christ Jesus. Do you see that the focus even of that resurrection is still not shifted to me? It stays on Christ. My resurrection is about Him. I am alive together with Christ. It's so easy for me to get this wrong. It's so easy for us to see our lives as being about us, but they're not. They always have been positional. We have always been in something. And so God didn't just give us another corrupted life in ourselves, in our sin. Still subject to the course of this world, to the corruption of this world. No, the resurrection that God offers is a true resurrection. Because the life that we now have is in Christ Jesus. And verse 6 proves it. Not only has God made us alive together with Christ, but he has raised us up with him. There's resurrection again. And he has seated us with him in the heavenly places look at how astounding that is friends paul is making an outrageous claim here remember back in chapter one of ephesians that paul outlined the and i quote immeasurable greatness of god's power in verses 20 and 21 when he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. It goes on to elaborate that this seat where Christ sits is far above all the rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only for this age, friends but also for the ages to come. That is the position of Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. And now, in chapter 2, Paul claims that we have likewise been seated in Christ right there with him. What rich mercy and great love 
must the Father have for us? I think that Paul wanted to make it abundantly clear to his audience that they must find their position in God, or before God, in Christ Jesus. He started by showing that both the Jew and the non-Jew were both positioned before God in their sin without Christ. But then he reveals the power and the mercy and the love that God made available in Jesus through his resurrection. A position that was so far greater than anything that we could have hoped or imagined. At the Father's right hand in his Son. And so I have two applications for you to consider here. First, if you recognized before that you were still in your death and sin, then please let God make you alive in his Son. Let God's great mercy and love resurrect you from a child of wrath into a child of God. He has already done the work in Jesus. So simply let him have the life that already belonged to him in the first place. And the second application that I have is for those of you who have already been raised in him. For you, brothers and sisters, recognize God as the main character in your life story. Kids and adults too, I want you to think about one of your favorite stories. Okay? You got it? Now, who is the main character of that story? How do you know that they are the main character? It's the one who the story is about, right? It's the one who does the work. The one who takes action. Even more importantly, if it's a good story, it's the one whose character is revealed as the book or the movie, or the story progresses. So now let me ask you this, kids and adults. If I were to ask you to tell me your life's story, who would the main character be? How about if I asked you to tell me the story of your testimony? Who would the main character of that story be? Is it you? I confess that this is often how I think about my own testimony. I came to Christ when I was very young. When I watched a church drama. And since then, I have had seasons where I walked closer or farther from God. And yet my life has been filled with ways that I have been closer to God. But that's not my testimony. 
My true testimony is that I was dead. But God made me alive together with Christ. He drew my spirit through a church drama. He has never abandoned me to my selfishness through my darkest time. It is his character, his rich mercy and great love that is revealed in my life. That is my testimony, friends. And if you love the Lord, then you know that that is your testimony too. Because you are in Christ. So I want you to know this morning that your position with God is seated with Christ at the Father's right hand. Friends, you are loved and you are heard by God the Father himself. Because of his work, not yours. You are already seated with Christ at the Father's right hand. You are in the heavenly places. And so there is nothing that you cannot ask your Father. Because neither your life now nor your position before God are about you anymore. They're about Jesus. And that is good news. Because you have been resurrected in him. So whether this is your life on earth. From the moment that you were raised in him. To the moment when you see him face to face. Everything that you are. Is his workmanship. This is a work that will take lifetimes. In fact, it will take ages to even begin to reveal how awesome he is. His immeasurable grace and kindness will be revealed in you through all time. Before time, there was God. So let's see the reason for this resurrection. Friends, let's look and see that God's grace will be shown in his workmanship. Read the last section with me of this morning's text, verses 7 through 10. All of this, so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ 
Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Once again, friends, the focus here is on God. And on His work. His workmanship. Not ours. Verse 7 expands the reason for our resurrection. It is because of God's great mercy and love. And it is for a very specific purpose. That purpose is to show the immeasurable riches of God's grace. It's all about His grace. In God's resurrection of Jesus Christ, He shows the immeasurable greatness of His power from chapter 1 verse 19. And He shows the immeasurable riches of His grace here in chapter 2. This is a resurrection and a salvation that is accomplished by God's own will according to His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is only the beginning. It's not the end. There is no end. God's grace is not merely resurrection for our dead bodies, but also for our spirits, both now and forever. And so we don't need to wait until we die a physical death to begin seeing His resurrection workmanship, friends. In Jesus, He has even prepared for us good works for us to walk in now. Look at how verses 8 through 10 frame this contrast. Paul says that our salvation is not a result of our works. But the good works that we walk in are a result of God's preparation. His plan beforehand. All of these things are how we see God's immeasurable grace towards us in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's audience, who were very familiar with the many good works that were expected of them, would see the contrast that it is not they or we who get credit for them, even when we do walk in them. It is still about God. So who has the right to boast when we live in Christ? And when we walk in the good works that God has planned for us? No man can boast. Certainly we cannot boast. But God can boast, friends. And he should Because the whole point is to show His greatness across every age. It's all 
about showing his greatness. Imagine it like this. There's a weightlifter who knows that they're going to the Olympics. Not because of their great presentation or ability to lift weights, but because the coach has already arranged for them to go to the Olympics. I'm pretty sure that's not how the Olympics works, but bear with me. In that situation, how would the weightlifter respond? The first choice is that they could ignore all of the weights that are around the gym because they know they're already going to the Olympics, so why bother? That's one way. A better way might be to lift as many random weights as they can find around the gym to make the coach proud. That's slightly better. But I think that both of those responses, friends, miss the point because they're both still focused on the weightlifter. A better perspective might be for the weightlifter to realize that the coach has a training regime carefully designed and tailored exactly for them. Beforehand planned to condition them into exactly the state they want them to be. And all the weightlifter has to do is walk in the training. Because the glory doesn't go to them. Because the coach is a good, good coach. And he will be beside him every day. And so none of the training that they face will be impossible. Because of how well the coach knows him and loves him. And so when the weightlifter finally stands on the podium, seated in the highest places of honor, it is the greatness of the coach friends that is shown. Because the weightlifter is simply his workmanship. It's never been about what we can do. It's always been about what God does. So how does this apply for us this morning? Friends, it changes the focus of who is glorified in our life and in our work every day. Even every good work of this life is about glorifying Him. I was dead, but He made me alive in Christ so that He would be glorified in every good work that He has prepared for me beforehand. And at least for me, this has been tremendously empowering. It has given me added meaning to my struggle with sin. It is not simply some endless battle that I wage only to have it finally wiped out at the last when I die. But every day 
If this is true, then when I confront my sin, I am doing it for God's glory. Because he prepared in advance to give me his power to face it and to defeat it. So I am not, friends, fighting sin for my own glory. I am not doing it out of some sense of duty. I am not even doing it merely out of a sense of gratitude. But friends, in Christ, I am his workmanship. So he is crafting me and training me for his glory. So I hope that this likewise gives all of us here a renewed purpose in Christ. That you are encouraged this morning to face whatever it is you are going through. Whether that's a struggle with a sin. Or whether that's a health problem. Or whether that's a difficult task that you just can't seem to do right. Or a period of waiting faithfully on the Lord for years. Or a way that you are serving others sacrificially or loving those who seem to you to be tremendously unlovable. All of these and so many more good works were prepared for you in advance. Not that you would boast as you face them and overcome them, but to showcase God's immeasurable Power and grace. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God made us alive in Christ Jesus. So that his grace could be shown through his workmanship. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your work in Christ Jesus. Thank you that Jesus, Lord, is the firstborn from among the dead. God, that our resurrection can be secured in him. Lord, reveal your works in our lives. God, we can take no boasting in them. But everything that you do in our lives can be glorifying to you. So, Lord, I pray that for my life. Lord, may you give me victory. Lord, may you give me great works to do in your name, Father. And through your power, Father. God, because I was dead but I want to be alive in you. Lord, now and forever, God, reveal your love, your greatness, your grace, your power in the lives of my brothers and sisters. God, may we sit at your right hand, Father, in Jesus Christ, in confidence, God, because of your greatness, not ours. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the price that you paid 
Lord, that our resurrection required his death and that you paid that willingly. Lord, may we willingly surrender our lives now and forever into your hands, God. Thank you, Lord. I pray for all of those things that I prayed for this morning. Lord, for the ranks, for Japan, for the Millers. Lord, for the Kepners, God. God, for your work to be shown in this congregation. Lord, for the people who are suffering here. We pray for your ministering spirit to be on them right now. And for your glory to be shown in their lives. May we walk in the things that you have prepared for us. Amen.